My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. And we, we love Easter, as you know, and, but it's not just because we love flowers and pomp and circumstance and getting dressed up and all this stuff. Like, that's all fine, but that's not what it's about. It, we actually believe that, that Jesus rose from the dead. Like Eric said earlier, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what are we doing here? Really, what are we doing here? And, and this is not new to us. This is how it was from the very beginning. In the earliest days of Christianity, the, the early Christians staked everything on one historical fact. You want to get rid of Christianity? No problem. Disprove the resurrection of Jesus and it's game over. We put all of our eggs in that basket, if you will. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. So if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, there's just no point. There's absolutely no point in us even being here. And, and so it's a historical fact, we believe, but it's more than just a historical thing. We're not just here like just remembering something from a long time ago. We actually believe that this same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power of the Holy Spirit, that it lives within you, it lives within me, that when we give our lives to the Lord, that he fills us with this power. And so our lives are, are changed through this. So it's not just a story from the past or a truth from the past, but it's something that is transforming us today. It's redeeming us. It's drawing us closer to Jesus. I want to tell you a story today, a story of redemption, a story of how Jesus saves, and it actually comes from the life of a guy who was one of the closest people to Jesus while he walked on this earth. His name was Peter. And he was one of the 12 disciples, not just one of the 12. He was one of like the, the top three, right? Peter, James, and John. These were Jesus' best friends. They were his closest disciples. And they were, they were kind of like his, his inner circle, if you will. And so when, Peter, when, when, when Jesus met Peter, his name wasn't Peter. Instead, it was Simon. And Jesus said, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to call you Peter, which means the rock. And on this, <laughs> the media booth is playing pranks on me already. Happy Easter, everybody. Not that rock. Peter is the rock on whom Jesus is going to build his church. Okay, so he's like foundational here in this. So when Jesus first meets Peter, Peter's a fisherman, and he's been out fishing one night, and it went terribly. Okay, he's a pro, and they would go out, they would use nets. So on good nights, they'll catch a ton. On bad nights, they'll catch some, but not quite as much, right? This night, Peter gets shut out. Zero fish. Now, now what are the odds of that, right? You fish all night long, big nets, dragging them through the lake, and you get nothing, and you're, this is your job. Like, that, that just doesn't happen, right? So Peter comes in, worst night of his professional career. He's folding up the nets, all this stuff. Jesus is down by the Sea of Galilee, and he's teaching. And after he finishes teaching, he looks over and sees Peter. He's like, hey, how's it going? How's the fishing? Peter's like, no, no not good at all, right? We, we caught nothing. And Jesus then offers him some advice. And I know that many of you are professionals in something, and maybe you've had this experience where you know the stuff about what you do, and you're having a bad day. It's not going well, right? And then some amateur comes up to give you advice, right? 
it's really annoying, right? Like you're a car mechanic, you can't get the car to start, right? You've been working at it, and, and the, the customer's like, well, did you check the blinker fluid? Because I, I think cars don't have blinker fluid, by the way, just side note. You know what I'm saying, it gets really annoying, right? And so, so Jesus is there, he's a carpenter, and he's like, hey, Peter, here's an idea for you. Why don't you go back in the boat, and you're going to put the nets in again, except this time, get this, other side of the boat. It's going to blow your mind. Really? The, the other side of the boat is six feet away, you know, from the one side of the boat. That makes, but fine. The carpenter says, throw the nets on the other side, whatever, we'll do it. And they go out, boom, miraculous catch of fish. These, these nets are like wanting to burst, right? Like this is unbelievable. And Peter knows something's going on. Peter knows that this Jesus is not just a normal guy, right? Because this just doesn't happen. This was impossible. This is a miracle. And Peter, he looks at Jesus and he says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I'm, I'm not qualified, okay? <laughs> Whatever it is you're doing here, that's awesome for you, but, but I'm just, uh, I'm not qualified. But Jesus won't have it. You see, this miracle, it really is a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do through Peter his whole life. For Peter is called not to be a fisher of fish anymore, but a fisher of people. That he's to spread the good news about Jesus, and that Jesus is going to bring in such a a just earth-shattering catch, if you will. Jesus is going to use Peter to change the world. And this miracle is just like tip of the iceberg. So Peter... He follows Jesus. And as a disciple, he had a front row seat to all the good stuff, right? He heard all the parables firsthand, all Jesus' teachings. He's there, the feeding of the 5,000, right? Where one little boy brings his lunch, and they start passing it out and passing it out. And by the end, 5,000 people are fed. Like, Peter's one of the ones distributing the food. This is just ridiculous. Or that other day when Jesus takes the top three, Peter, James, and John, they go up the mountain with Jesus, and he has this transfiguration, right, where, where God moves in power, and Jesus goes into, like, glowing mode here, right? And Moses and Elijah, they come down too, and Peter's all excited, and he's running his mouth, and Jesus is like, shut it. We're having a special moment here, right? And, and this is who Peter is, okay? He is somebody who's all heart all the time and about 30% brain, right? He's, his heart is with Jesus, but his head is uh, out there a little bit, and he runs his mouth a lot, and so he gets himself into trouble with all these kinds of things, right? And, and he's not, so he, he's not afraid to speak his mind. He is definitely the, the ready-fire-aim disciple, right? The Yosemite Sam disciple. This is Peter, Okay. And it shows up a lot, but it shows up several times in Jesus. Um, shows up several times in Jesus' final week here on Earth, particularly in the upper room, when Jesus is going and he's showing them what real love is all about, and and he gets down, he's washing the disciples' feet, right, and he gets to Peter, and Peter's like, "Nope, not washing my feet, Lord, <laughs> not going to happen," and Jesus is like. Well, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you're not part of me. He's like, okay, fine, wash my feet, wash my head, wash my hands, whatever, right? He's like, Peter, I'm just washing feet here. Don't make this awkward, okay? Not giving you a bath, okay? But he just, he does this. He runs his mouth a lot, right? And then, then there's, uh, then, then they're, they're having supper, and Jesus gives Peter this really 
difficult prediction that Peter is going to go and he's going to actually deny that he even knows Jesus, right? And imagine how devastating that, that must have been, right? Imagine how devastating that, that must have been. Uh, John 13, 36, uh, it talks about this whole event. And, and, and Jesus is going to do this, or Peter's going to do this. He says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus says, you can't go with me now, but you'll follow me later. Well, why can't I come now, Lord? He's asked, I'm ready to die for you. I mean, that's pretty bold right there. I'll, I'll die for you, right? Die for me? <laughs> You're not going to die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Oh, my gosh. Imagine how painful that must have been. Jesus is like his best friend. And he makes this big proclamation of faith. Jesus, this is what I'm going to do. I would die for you. I would do anything for you. Jesus is like, nope. Before tomorrow, you're going to three times deny that you even know me. I mean, think about your best friend. Let's say that you made plans to do something awesome for them, right? Like, let's say it's their birthday, and you, you figured out all the stuff they love, and you plan to go out to their favorite place and do their favorite things, right? And that morning of their birthday, you call them up, and you're like, this is what we're going to do today. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a, such a great day. And they're like, actually, by the end of the day, you're going to deny that you even know me. What? That's nonsense. How, how can you even say that? That makes no sense. I mean, unless your best friend's like, I don't know, Debbie Downer or something, right? Like, Hi, I'm Debbie. <laughs> okay, maybe if it's Debbie, maybe. But Jesus, come on, this is like, this is a bad moment. Why are you saying this? Why would you say that I would deny you? You know, Lord, Peter. <laughs> Peter, you know it. Jesus is right. goes with the territory when you're God and you have foreknowledge and you know, all this stuff, right? So Jesus is right about this. And that night, Jesus, he gets arrested. They take him away. They lead him to the house of the high priest, and Jesus is on trial there. Peter and another disciple, they follow at a bit of a distance, but they're, they're right out in the yard, right outside of that house. And there's a, a charcoal fire burning. It's a cold night. So Peter's standing around the fire. He's warming himself up there. And somebody walks up and he goes, hey, I, you look familiar, buddy. I, I've seen you before. You, you're not one of his disciples, are you? disciple. No, I, I'm not with the guy who's arrested and in big, big trouble right now. No, no, not, not me. And then a servant girl comes up and says, hey, no, I, I've seen you with him. I, I know that you're with him. He's like, who are you, servant girl? You don't know me. I, I'm, not, I'm not a disciple. I'm not, I'm not a disciple of Jesus. Then a third. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're a disciple, Peter. I'm listening to you talk, and you got that northern accent, right? That northern accent like those disciples have, right? You, you're one of them. I know it. Man, I swear to you, I don't know what is wrong with you people, but I don't even know the man. And right then, a rooster crows. And Jesus looks over, and his eyes meet Peter's eyes. 
it was the worst moment of Peter's whole life. He even told me that I was going to do this. And I still did it. He's there, and I let him down. I've let him down before, but, oh, gosh, never like this. Never like this. Peter is heartbroken, and he's, he's devastated, and he just he doesn't know what to do. Have you been there? I think we all have, honestly. We've all had these times where in our hearts we wanted so much to be faithful to God. Whatever it is, God, you want, I'm in, I'm here, I I, want to do it. I just want to please you, or I want to stop doing the thing that I know I shouldn't be doing, or I want to, you know, fix this relationship or this problem or whatever it is. Here I am. In fact, some of you, maybe uh, you went to Christian camps growing up as a kid or walked to Emmaus or something, and hear me, I'm all in on those kind of things. My life was changed by them. But, you know, sometimes at these camps, uh, one I went to, we'd have this night on Thursday or Friday where they would do like a campfire, right? And everybody would share about how God moved in their hearts during the week, and we'd share testimonies. It was awesome and really powerful. But inevitably, there'd be, you know, there'd be somebody who gets up there, right, and they're just overcome with emotion, and they're up there, and they're crying. They're like, I, the Lord's touched my life. It's been awesome. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to never sin again. I promise, God, never again. And the counselor stands up like, well, he's had a pretty good week at camp, you know, he's probably done with sin. <laughs> he's 14, dude. <laughs> it's probably going to happen again, Right? And then you go home, and a week later, there you are. Same friends, same stuff, and you're messing up. I let him down again. I failed him. How could God love somebody like me? How could God trust somebody, use somebody who messes up as much stuff as as I mess up? We've all been there. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're half surprised the place didn't catch on fire when you walk in the door today. Like, I haven't been here in a while, whatever. Like, I think that in Peter's story, that we're going to see Jesus' exact love for you, for me, for all of us, in fact, this day. So let's fast forward a little bit. Jesus is condemned, he's crucified, uh, buried. The third day, he rises from the dead. That morning, John and Peter, they go running to the tomb. Uh, John gets there first, but he stays outside. Peter, remember, he doesn't think about things. He just runs right smack into that open tomb. There is the burial cloth where Jesus has, has been laid. They don't honestly really know what's going on. This is confusing at this point to them, right? And so they're experiencing this resurrection, but we're trying to get it all figured out, right? And, and then that night, Jesus appears before the disciples, and, and they see him, and he says to them, hey, I, I'm going to go ahead of you into Galilee, right? And, and there, I'm going to, to meet you there, right? So go ahead. And then John 21, chapter 3, it says it this way. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, the other disciples said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Now, 
couple things. For one, this fishing trip has been highly criticized by Christians over time. Like, see, Peter lost his faith. He gave it all up. He threw it all away. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's really the case. I mean, he was a fisherman. He needed to eat. Fishing is a pretty logical next step, right? I don't know that he had completely abandoned his faith in Jesus at this time. You know, we have the hindsight of resur- of, of uh, or we have the hindsight of knowledge of uh, resurrection and the Holy Spirit coming and all this. Peter didn't know all this at the moment. He doesn't know exactly how this is all going to shake out, right? But so Peter's there and they're fishing. They fish all night, and here we have it, the second shutout of his career, right? Are you kidding me? I, this happened a long time ago, right? But I, I never thought this would happen again, right? So then next, verse 4, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples could not see who he was. Now, this is one of my favorite features of the resurrected Christ, okay? He has this tendency to show up. And people often don't recognize him, okay? We see it multiple times. We know that his body was restored to some level after the crucifixion because he had been incredibly messed up then. But he looked differently. He, different. he still had the scars, the, the holes in his, in his wrists. Um, we, uh, maybe he had a little bit of an Easter glow, right? I see a lot of people Easter glow going on here today. You all look great. Maybe he had some of that going on. But I, I have a theory that I haven't found any commentators who agree with me. I'm sure they'll catch up in time. Um, I believe that the resurrected Christ, you know, he went through his crucifixion, he's back from the dead, and like he can do anything, right? Like it's been proven. So he's really gotten into pranking people because, hey, you rose from the dead, why not, right? So he just loves to surprise people in this way, right? Mary in the garden, right? Remember, he sees Mary and she's crying and Jesus is like, why are you crying? You know why she's crying, Jesus. Come on, what are you doing? Well, well, who are you looking for? You know who she's looking for, okay? You know you're the guy, right? Like, what are you doing here? Or the, the, walk, or the road to Emmaus, right? He walks with them seven miles, and they're telling him all this stuff. He's like, are you the, they're like, are you the only guy in Jerusalem who doesn't know about these things? He's like, what things? <laughs> you know the things, your life is the things, okay? Like, but this is what Jesus likes to do, right? So he's there, and they don't really recognize him. Verse 5, he called out, fellas, you caught any fish? <laughs> nope, they replied. <laughs> okay, Jesus is pulling out the classics here, we can see, right? Then he said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. Now, wait a minute here. I, I... <laughs> I have a memory of this kind of nonsense, right? Let's do it. So they did it, and they couldn't haul in the net that day because there were so many fish in it, right? And check out what happens next here. The disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put it on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. Side note, glad we got rid of that habit when it comes to fishing, right? Those trips with your Uncle Craig would have been much more awkward, let me tell you. He jumped into the water, and he headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the net, the loaded net, onto the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found some breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Hmm. So it's an interesting story here. Jesus has clearly recreated the miracle that, that he used to call Peter, right? Like, this is, this is an obvious throwback to the call of Peter. We get it, right? And Peter is so pumped 
when he knows that it's Jesus. He goes into his typical ready, fire, aim mode, and he just jumps into the water, right? He's like, I got to go see Jesus, right? And I love the way John says it, because they're kind of rivals sometimes, I think. Uh, and, they, and so John's like, and the other disciples, they just rowed the boat back to shore, because <laughs> they were 100 yards out. Bye, Peter. See you at shore. <laughs> it's been nice. So they get back there, and here's Jesus. And Peter climbs up to the, the shore, and Jesus is cooking breakfast on a, on a charcoal fire. It's interesting, because there's only two places in the New Testament where a charcoal fire is mentioned. Do you know the other one? I told you earlier. Yeah, the denial. Very specifically, a charcoal fire. The Bible talks about lots of fires. These are the only two that we specify this. Jesus is recreating this moment of call and this moment of denial. Peter gets to the shore. He smells that familiar smell. He looks up and he sees Jesus. And I have to think there was kind of a lump in his tummy that day. You know, when you've let somebody down and you just don't really know what to do about it. It's kind of an awkward thing. This is the only other place where we see this fire. And Jesus speaks to Peter. And listen to what he says here. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus told him. Remember, Jesus is the good shepherd. It's basically a matter of, like, take care of my people, right? Do the stuff I've called you to do. Jesus repeated the question second time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Ouch. Jesus intentionally combines the moment of call and the moment of his greatest failure to bring him to this place. And it would be easy to read this and to misunderstand and to think that Jesus is just kind of being a jerk here. That Jesus is going to, he's going to let Peter have it for what he did, right? You love me, Peter? Sure, Lord, I do. Oh, yeah, really? Because last I checked a few days ago, you didn't even know me. Why don't we run it again, Peter? Do you really love me? But that's not what Jesus is doing. See, for, for many of us, we, we have some voices that talk to us, and they're often kind of condemning. It may be that imposter syndrome, like, you don't belong, you're not, you're not, if, you're not good enough, you're not as good as all the other people around. If people really knew you, you'd be found out. Or maybe, maybe it goes back to some stuff early on in life. You know, psychologists have, have done research and, and made a connection between our early views of our parents and other authority figures and our views of God. 
Because really early on, we recognize that it's good for us if we keep the big people happy, right? Because they feed us, they keep us warm and safe and all this stuff. And so there's kind of a natural connection there between them and God, right? And so if you had some issues with your parents, it's easy, even unknowingly, to connect those with God. And maybe if you had, whether it's parents or coaches or teachers or boss or somebody who was really hard on you and really came down on you, condemned you a lot, it's easy to think that God looks at you that same way. And it's easy to think that the voice of God is, is always against you. You failed. You're bad. You're, you're, I, I can't use you. Who are you? You, you messed too much stuff up. I, <laughs> I'll use somebody else because surely I can't use you. Look at you. But friend, that's not the voice of God. It's not. For God is love. He's love. It doesn't mean that he ignores sin. He calls us to holiness. But he doesn't do it in a way that is condemning. In fact, the Bible's really clear that the Son of God came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If you're hearing voices of condemnation, friend, you're not hearing the voice of God. That's the enemy. God loves you. He cares about you. He forgives you. He came down to this earth to die, to give his life for me and for you so that we could be one with him, so that we could be set free, so that we don't have to be chained up anymore. The, the resurrection of Christ is a, is a message of great hope because now we can be set free. Because he's alive, he can conquer death, so he can do anything. He can do anything. So Jesus, he goes to these places of hurt, and here's why. Because he wants to heal you. He wants to heal you. Think of it this way. What if you were a soldier serving in a war and you were injured, uh, say a piece of shrapnel got in your leg and a, and a, a, a medic came up, right? And they, they took you to the medic and you got this big shrapnel in your leg. What's the medic going to do? Are they just going to wrap that thing up like, all right, go get him, tiger? No you got to deal with that shrapnel. And it's going to hurt. It's not fun. But they do it because they want you to be healed. And that's what Jesus does for Peter here. You see, Jesus recreates this scene so that he can touch that wound. And when Jesus touches your wounds, his purpose is to heal you, not to hurt you. Some of us today, we've got wounds and Jesus wants to touch them. He wants to meet you right where you're at. He might have been bringing these things to your mind in these moments because he wants to deal with them. And maybe you've been shoving them down, ignoring them, pretending like they're not there. That's not Jesus' way. No, he died so that you can be set free. And today he wants to touch you by the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to touch you so that you can be made whole, so that you can be set free. That's what he wants for you. We're going to pray in a moment, and I want to pray that Jesus would touch you and heal you. And it might be miraculous and instant. He does that stuff sometimes. He can do it. I believe in it. I've seen it. It might also happen through meeting with a counselor over time or a pastor. We're here for you. 
It, it might also happen through a conversation with somebody else or some close friends. Whatever it is, my friend, he's Lord and he wants to heal you. Maybe the first step for you today is giving yourself to Jesus. Maybe you realize you've never done that before. Friends, he's calling you. I don't care how many times you let him down. He's still calling you. He's still inviting you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to heal you. He wants to make you whole. He wants to be the leader, the Lord of your life, because his ways are so much better than yours or mine ever could be. So I'm going to pray now, and I just invite you, I invite you to pray right along with me wherever you're at. Jesus, I need you. I need you so much. I need you to touch my life, touch my heart. I've denied you. I've let you down. I've done things that I'm ashamed of. And right now I choose to trust that when you went to the cross, that you took all my sins, all my bad stuff, all my shortcomings and my failings, and you paid the price. Thank you, Jesus. So I just ask that you would come into my life, that you would save me from my sins, and that you would be the Lord, that you would be the leader of my life, because you truly are risen from the dead, and you are Lord. So I bow my knee. I confess with my mouth that you are who you say you are. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just touch every hurting heart here today. Every person who's dealing with pains. Maybe you've shown us things we haven't thought about in a while. Maybe there's hurts that are deep-seated, Lord. I pray that you would touch them with your healing power. You are the great physician, and we give ourselves to you. We, and Lord, I, I know that this may cause some pain, but Lord, we just pray that you would bring healing through this pain. Lord, I pray that if, if we need to see a counselor, we'll see a counselor. If we need to, to seek other help, that we'll seek other help. If we need to confess to somebody, that we'll confess. Whatever it is, Lord, would you move in our hearts, move in our lives this day. For Lord, we love you so much. We praise you because you are the risen king. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.